Church team will get the baskets back to you, and we're going to jump right in. But David, uh, I met this past November. He's uh, on staff there with Bayside, and he's the director of Thriving Churches International, and uh, we got to ride all around. He didn't need that. He's, thank you, though. I'm sorry. He's uh, Good job, Mark. You want, me to, you want me to beat on a drum? Would that sound better? Anyway, where's Fowler when you need him? And, uh, but uh, David's a great guy. He, he played quarterback in college. That was kind of a cool thing. He was a college quarterback. He just loves God. He's got a wonderful wife there in Northern California. But he is a great communicator, a great leader. He's going to be working with our leadership teams today and tomorrow. And uh, I'm just excited. He's served churches in the south, all the way from the south in Atlanta, Georgia, to uh, California. But he is going to speak to our hearts today. He's going to challenge us. And here's what I want you to do, because he he's not always in the south, because he's over in the west coast a lot now. But I want you to put your hands together and give a great southern hospitality welcome to David Harris, Dr. David Harris. Thanks for being here, bro. Well, how many of you to be honest enough with me to say that your body clocks are screwed up? Yeah, I'm not fully caffeinated. I live in California. I came east on time change weekend. Now, because of some of the stuff I'm doing, I am literally covering, covering a good bit of the state. You know, I'm with you guys today and tomorrow in the area meeting some pastors in Montgomery tomorrow. And then uh, got to drive up to Birmingham tomorrow afternoon. Tuesday, I'm up in Florence most of the day. I uh, back down to Birmingham and fly from Birmingham to San Jose to speak at a conference on Wednesday. So I get into Birmingham last night and like Enterprise Car Rental has like one employee in the whole country apparently. So I actually walked into my hotel room at 11.30 last night, fast-forwarded the clock till 12.30, and because my body doesn't know I'm in a different time zone, laid there and stared at the ceiling till 2 a.m. When my alarm went off at 7 this morning, my inside screamed. And I crawled my way to Starbucks and drank way too much coffee. <laughs> but I'm just excited to be here. I grew up in southern Ohio. I grew up with both of my parents were church board members. Uh, my uncle was a pastor. Uh, I accepted Christ when I was four years old. I didn't have a chance. When I was 10 years old, uh, at a, you know, in the tradition I grew up in in southern Ohio back in the day, you know, camp meetings and revivals and all that stuff was, were really, really popular. So at a camp meeting, at, at the age of 10, I told God he could do anything in my life he wanted. Now, the cool thing was, it's not that I told God that. It's that I never took it back. I never knew that this little kid running around a church, not unlike some of your children, in southern Ohio would Sunday have the privilege of climbing to the Great Wall, uh, top of the Great Wall of China, would preach in Belfast, Ireland, and London, England, and, and Mexico, and Africa, and Uganda. I just never knew. And so you never know when you put your life into the hands of the creator of life what he's going to do with it. Because the one thing I know is that God is faithful. Now, sometimes a problem with all of that is God is so faithful, but we're real impatient. We like what we like. We want to do what we want to do. We want to go where we want to go. We want to try to see the kinds of things that we want to see. And so God has a way of speaking into our lives. Sometimes I've heard it said that God screams to us in our pain and whispers to us in our pleasures. 
So what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to a very popular passage of Scripture this morning. Uh, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1. It's there on the back of your worship folder, or you can look at your Bibles, or if you're like me, I'm going to read from the screens because I like electronic Bibles. And so Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But so what? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Now, I have often heard it said that there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who like Star Trek. Y'all like the deep stuff. You're used to Keith's preaching. Those who like Star Trek and those who don't. But if some of you remember the old original Star Trek series, not this new junk, but the good stuff out of the 60s. You know, every week when that show would come on, you would hear the voice of that great theologian, Captain Kirk. And he would announce that the Starship Enterprise was going to go where no man had gone before. But there was a word he used. They weren't just going to go. There was a word he used to describe how they were going to go. Anybody remember what it was? Yes, yeah, some Trekkies here in Montgomery to boldly go where no man had gone before. See, life is an exercise in boldness. It's an exercise in going. And boldness comes from living in the hand of God. And when Paul wrote this letter to this brand new church there in Philippi, there was a really cool dynamic beginning to take shape and form there in that culture, in that community. Because what would happen as this little church began to gather, they began to become attractional to other people who were going through the ups and downs and the difficulties of life. And many of the Roman people began to come in and join them. And Roman citizens, especially male Roman citizens, were especially bold people. They could go anywhere, they could say anything, they could do just about anything they wanted without any fear of any kind of repercussion or anybody coming back on them. Now what happened is the upside of that is as they brought all of their boldness and all of their outwardliness and all of their extroverted ideas into the church, they began to bring transformation to that church and these people began to see that that boldness that they brought into the church, once it was yielded to Christ, could be used to take it out into the culture, out in the community, and they could go where there was no trail and they could blaze one behind them. Because folks... When you step outside these doors today and take a look around at the real world, look very clearly. This life, this day, this culture desperately needs people who will live lives of spiritual boldness or what I like to call 
fearless faith. You say, well, David, that sounds all well and good, but how do I, I'm just me, how do I become an individual of fearless faith? I'm so glad you asked. I used to have the same question. A secular psychologist by the name of Albert Ellis helped me out. See, Albert Ellis has what he calls the ABCs of the inner life. A stands for antecedent. Now, antecedent is like a $50 word that basically means circumstances. They're the things that come into your life and my life that we have no control over. And C stands for consequences. Consequences are how you and I choose to respond to our circumstances. But in between A and C is what? Yeah, even in Montgomery, there's a B. B stands for the word beliefs. You see, folks, it's not your circumstances that determine your consequences in life. It's what you choose to believe about your circumstances that ultimately determines everything that's going to happen to you. Now, that can go a lot of different ways. For instance, I have a pastor friend a couple of years ago in California. He and his wife were in Malibu. And they were kind of doing some touristy stuff. And they walked into an ice cream shop there in Malibu. They're standing in line. And as they're standing in line waiting to order their ice cream, in through the side door comes the actor Tom Cruise. And immediately they had two different sets of beliefs about that situation. You see, my friend John has a huge sense of humor. And he can be a little bit of a loose cannon in certain situations. And his wife Nancy is a little bit uptight. And she saw Tom Cruise come walking through the door. Her husband, John, knows her opinion of Brother Tom. And so when Tom comes walking in the door, Nancy reaches out and she grabs her husband's arm and she says, Johnny, don't you say anything. Don't you do anything. Don't you embarrass me in any way. I want to get out of here with my dignity intact. Well, John's like all offended. He's like, well, what am I going to do and say? You know, it's Tom Cruise. He's a short little guy. His nose is real crooked. I wanted to go over, put my arm around him, lay hands on him, pray for him, tell him to stick with that acting thing. It just might work out for him. (laughs) But like all good husbands, he listened to his wife. You preach that, right? Yeah, happy wife, happy life. So (laughs) they get their ice cream. They go outside. John is standing there eating his ice cream. And all of a sudden, Nancy says, John, what happened to my ice cream? She walked back into the shop, walks up to the counter, cuts in front of everybody, slaps her little hand right down there on the counter. And she said, sir, where's my ice cream? About that time, Tom Cruise pecked her on the shoulder. He said, lady, you stuck it in your purse. (laughs) Uh, That's that female dignity I'm always hearing about. You can have any situation, you can have two different sets of beliefs. So let's look at the Apostle Paul. What were the circumstances? What was the situation in his life as he wrote this letter? Well, first of all, Paul is in prison. Secondly, not only is Paul in prison, Paul is chained to the Roman Imperial Guard. Now, I want you to understand, Roman Imperial Guard, that's not like Walmart security, okay? Roman Imperial Guard is the equivalent of the Secret Service agents 
who protect our president and our senior ranking senators. It's as high as you could go in Roman national security. And Paul was chained to them 24 and 7. Paul says he's in prison. Not only is he in prison, he's chained to the Roman imperial guard. Paul goes on to say he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And then as if to add insult to injury, Paul says, and in the process of all these circumstances, there are all these bogus preachers out there running around preaching the gospel, but in the process proclaiming God and belittling the apostle Paul. Paul's missionary journey has been interrupted. He's in jail. He's chained to the Roman Imperial Guard. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. Other people in the name of Jesus Christ are out there demeaning and belittling him. Those are Paul's circumstances as he writes this letter. Now imagine those are my circumstances or your circumstances. What do you think you'd do? Well, I don't know about you, but I'd throw the world's biggest pity party. And I'd invite all my best friends and some of you. And I'd be like, oh, dear Lord, I'm trying to do my best for you. And God, I've given my life for you. And God, I'm trying to be poured out like an offering. And God, but that's not what Paul did, is it? Paul says, I'm in jail. So what? The gospel is still being proclaimed. And the word of God, once it's proclaimed, is so powerful that lives can help be transformed, even if it's by those turkeys. And Paul says, besides, since I'm in jail... There are other people out there who are growing up in the faith. They're preaching the word of God more fearlessly and more courageously. And then I like what Paul really does next. Because anybody here ever studied personal evangelism? How to lead two of you. We've got some work to do today. Well, in personal evangelism, there's a little formula. They tell you how to, how to impact people for Jesus Christ. They tell you that if you have a sense of spiritual power, plus if you can clearly communicate the gospel, plus if you live in close proximity to unbelievers, that when you add spiritual power, plus um, clear communication, plus close proximity, that equals maximum impact. Now let's measure that in the Apostle Paul's life, okay? Did Paul have a sense of spiritual power, spiritual authority? Yeah, God like reached down a hand, picked him, didn't he? Was Paul able to clearly communicate the gospel? Yeah, he wrote most of the book. So what about his close proximity? Think about on this second missionary journey what Paul's objective was. Paul's objective was to go to Rome and not just reach the average Roman citizen hanging out at Home Depot living in the suburbs. Paul's objective was to get into Rome to infiltrate the Roman government and to reach the kings and the kingmakers because Paul thought that if he could influence the kings and the kingmakers, the governors, the emperors, and the rulers, that as he influenced them, they would influence the entire kingdom, right? For years, Paul has been on his knees. Oh, God, help me get to Rome. God, help me reach the kings and the kingmakers. God, how am I going to do this? He's out on his second missionary journey. God looks down on him and says, Paul, I got a great idea. How about if I pull you off your journey, I put you in jail, and I chain you to him for a couple of years? Paul says, great idea, God. That means 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They had to listen to the apostle Paul preach about the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verse 16, the humor in all this is they think I'm their prisoner. But I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. And then Paul goes on to say, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. He says, but if I die, I go to live with Christ. And if I live, I go on carrying out the mission of Christ. 
Folks, that's a win-win situation any way you slice it. So what are the circumstances? What are the lessons that in this passage to this church at Philippi that Paul is teaching you and me today that still stand true? If you want to follow along, there's a brief outline in your worship folder. It goes like this. Paul's antecedent in life. Same as my antecedent, same as your antecedent. Life is difficult. Say that with me, would you? Life is difficult. See, sometimes the roast burns. Sometimes the car breaks down. Sometimes your pastor gives a lousy message. Life is difficult. The problem is you and I get all caught up in life, you know, when you've had a bad hair day or your boss is cranky or there's construction on the interstate or the kids need braces. We say, man, I'll be so glad when my life gets back to. Folks, I got huge news for you. That is normal. Life is difficult. And sometimes. Sometimes life is really difficult. For instance, sometimes in this economy, you have a family you dearly love, but no job to feed them. Sometimes little children have parents who fight. Sometimes one of those parents leaves. Sometimes... It's the people in your own church who wound you the most deeply. Sometimes you love someone and that someone doesn't love you back. Sometimes you love someone and that someone dies. Life is difficult. Now here's what Paul believed about life's difficulties. Jesus is Lord. Say that with me. Jesus. See, when you say those words, you confess the one truth that's held the church of Jesus Christ together for 2,000 years against which the gates of hell itself shall not prevail. Life is difficult, but Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over bad hair days. He's Lord over faulty health. He's Lord over screwed up situations. Is what this really means that, you know what? We don't need to take ourselves all that seriously. If the roast burns, guess what? Get rid of it. Get another one. If your car breaks down, so what? Get rid of it. Get another one. If your pastor gives a lousy sermon, so what? Send him and his wife on a three-week study break to Hawaii. I got your back. <laughs> Life is difficult. So what? Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over the Roman Imperial Guard. He's Lord over bad hair days. He's Lord over construction of the interstate. Jesus Christ is Lord of all kinds of people from every walk of life. If you don't believe me, look around this room this morning. What but the Lordship of Jesus Christ could bring us together on a spring break Sunday morning? Life is difficult. So what? Jesus is Lord. And, Paul, and because Paul believed that Jesus really is Lord of everything and not just the good stuff. Here's how Paul responded to everything that came into his life. 
I will rejoice. Say it with me. I Life is difficult. So what? Jesus is Lord. And I will rejoice. I rejoice, Paul says, that because I'm in prison, I'm reaching all kinds of people and having all kinds of influence in ways that I never would have had if I was still out there on the road traveling from church to church. These people would never have heard the good news. I rejoice, Paul says, that because I'm sitting in a jail cell, there are others out there who are growing up in the faith more courageously, more fearlessly. God's developing them into leaders. They're reaching people I never would have had influence with if I were still out there mentoring and tutoring them. I rejoice, Paul says, that even though people are out there demeaning me and belittling me, God's word is still advancing and the kingdom is still growing. Life is difficult. So what? Jesus is Lord. I will rejoice. And one of the beautiful things about this lesson that Paul is giving us is that it is 100% consistent with exactly what Jesus told us in the Gospel of John. Because some of you Bible scholars in here will recall, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now think about it. In this world you will have trouble. Life is... I have overcome the world. Jesus is... Be of good cheer, I will... It's what so many people call the nevertheless factor. Nevertheless, what comes after you in this world, whatever you face, whatever struggles, whatever trials, whatever situations, nevertheless, Jesus Christ is always Lord. You know, if we break this down then on a personal level, what does that mean for us? That means for some of us that we're going to have to well, you know how the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing? Are you also aware that the lack of faith comes by hearing? For instance, for some of us, we need to choose our relationships and close personal friendships maybe a little more closely. We need to choose to identify and associate with the kinds of people who are going to encourage us, the kinds of people who might inspire us, the kinds of people who are going to pray with us, the kind of people who love us enough to hold us accountable and not the kind of people who are going to drag us down to their level. For others of you, it means that whatever your greatest fear in life is, you're going to have to look at that fear through fresh lenses in a brand new perspective based on the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. You know, we get so caught up in so many things, like take the current economy, and it possibly has affected some of you in here or someone you know. We get all caught up in, well, this is going on, and, and I, I, might, I might have my home foreclosed upon because my company shut down, or I got laid off, and, and all this fear and trepidation and all this struggles begin to mount within us. And trust me, nobody wants to lose their home. Nobody wants to have their credit jeopardized or, or ruin it or any of that kind of stuff in this kind of age. But let's have a dose of perspective this morning. That's not worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, Paul says, is I die. And yet Paul says to die is to gain because you go and live with Christ. Now here's what this means. This means that whatever you're facing in life, you can look at it with new perspective, new attitude. That means that the next time that you have to have a difficult conversation with a close friend or family member, 
you can look that friend and family member in the eye and say, so what? This means the next time that your spouse comes to you and wants to talk to you about some aspect of your behavior or character that she, he or she's not real pleased with, you can look your spouse in the eye and say, no, don't do that. <laughs> But life is difficult. So what? Jesus is Lord. And if he really is Lord of all, what is there out there that can hold us back from following the Christ who is Lord of all? Now, what if we've got real personal with this? What if we took what Paul is saying and we focused it in on in the very, very essence of who you and I are as individuals uh, trying to follow the Christ who is Lord of all? For instance, maybe there's some of you in here that there was a moment in your life last week, last month, 25 years ago when God said, I want you to do this for me. And you decided you wanted to do something else. That God called you to do this, but you wanted to go off and you wanted to do your own thing. And now you're sitting back in here this morning. Before you can become an individual of fearless faith, I've got big news for you this morning. You're going to have to go back and pick up that call because God hasn't changed his mind. For others of you in here this morning, maybe there was a moment in time where you lied to somebody or you cheated somebody or you stole from somebody or you gossiped about somebody. Well, in the church, we call that taking prayer requests. Before you can become an individual of fearless faith, you're going to have to go to somebody and make that relationship right. God expects nothing less. You remember a few minutes ago, at probably the most important part of this message, I told you there were two kinds of people in this world. Well, do you or don't you? Okay. Just making sure you're still awake. The caffeine's starting to wane. Well, I also happen to believe that there are two kinds of people in this world. See, David Harris believes that there are people who love to get up early in the morning. And then there are people who hate the people who love. <laughs> By the way, there's one of each at my house. Can I get a witness? Yeah, okay. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in this passage that he also sees two kinds of people in the world and in the church today. Take a close look at verse number 20 on the screen with me. Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now leave that up there just a second if you would. Do you hear what Paul is saying? Paul's saying there's two kinds of people. Paul's saying on one hand, there are people who are not ashamed of the gospel. People who have courage. People who are not timid and shy in their faith. And Paul says that's the kind of person he wants to be. Now, if Paul says this is what he is seeing in the church and this is what he wants to be, by default, what other type of person is Paul seeing? Paul says, I'm seeing people who don't have spiritual boldness. I'm seeing people who are a little bit ashamed to be pointed out as one of the Jesus people. 
I'm seeing people who don't have the sense of courage that come from a trusting relationship with Jesus Christ. You know what I think Paul is really saying to us this morning through this passage? Paul is saying this. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who are for Christ and those who are against him. Because on this issue, folks, there's no middle ground. Now, in the 1870s, there was a lawyer in Chicago. And this lawyer's legal practice began to blossom and bloom, and it was going all over the place. It was going viral. And this lawyer then began to take some of the money he was earning from his legal practice, and he began to buy up a bunch of real estate down along Michigan Avenue there by the waterfront. And he was doing very well. And some of you history buffs in here will recall, it was in the 1870s that that great fire swept through the city of Chicago and literally burned it to the ground. Well, back then, they didn't have fire insurance and some of the things that we have today. And that meant that this attorney had to start putting extra time back into his legal practice to try to re-earn the money and to begin to re-earn, rebuild his real estate empire because that was undoubtedly how he was going to finance his children's education. Undoubtedly, that was going to be his retirement. That was what he was putting more and more of himself into. And when it burned down, he had to rebuild it all. And he was spending so much time with his legal practice and so much time rebuilding these properties and these buildings that finally he went to his wife. And he said, I want you to take our four daughters and I want you to take a train from Chicago to New York City. And in New York City, I want you to get on a ship and I want you to sail to London, spend some time with your mother because I'm working so hard. I don't have time to do all of this. And then in a few months, I'll come and join you guys and we'll have a vacation together. His wife and four daughters got on a train in Chicago. They took the train to New York. They got down to New York Harbor. They got on a ship. They're sailing across the Atlantic Ocean towards London, England. When out in the middle of the Atlantic, the ship they were on collided with another ship, and it sank. And a few days later, he got a telegram that simply said, Ship sank. I alone survived. Now, in the course of just months, this man had lost all of his real estate development. This man had lost what was going to be his future, his children's education, his retirement. And then this man lost the thing that mattered to him most in life, this side of heaven. He lost all four of his daughters. And it was with a broken heart that he went down to the train station. He got on a train in Chicago, took the train to New York, got on a ship and was sailing to London, England to meet his wife where they could grieve together. And he told the captain of that boat, he said, Sir, when we get to those coordinates where those two ships collided and my daughters drowned, would you let me know? When the time came, the captain sent word to him. And as he climbed up on the deck of the ship, Horatio Spafford pulled out his pen and his pad, and he sat down and he began to write these words some of you will find familiar. When peace, like a river, attends my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, Now, folks, I'm pretty confident Horatio Spafford never met the Apostle Paul face to face. But I know that Horatio Spafford had to be familiar with the writings and the letters of the Apostle Paul. Because think about this. When peace like a river attends my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, life is difficult. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, you who? Jesus is Lord. 
it is well. And only when it's well with your soul can you rejoice in everything that happens to you. Now, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to bow your heads. We're going to pray here in just a minute and turn the band back loose. I need you to do two things this morning, okay? I'm a guest here, and I respect you for allowing me the privilege of being here. Number one, I need you to trust me, okay, for just a minute. And number two, I need you to have great courage. Maybe there's somebody in here who would just say, hey, David, there have been a lot of sea billows in my life lately. There have been some bad hair days. There have been some difficulties that have just, quite frankly, overwhelmed me. And I'm not rejoicing in the Lordship of Christ like I'd like to. If that describes you this morning, would you trust me enough and have enough courage to stand right where you are and just let me pray with you? That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray for you. Anybody here battling some sea billows? pray with you folks in just a minute one other type of people maybe you're in here this morning and you're saying David never quite saw the love of God like this never quite saw this whole Jesus thing like this but I'm hearing it through fresh ears this morning and I'd like to invite Christ in my life would you just lift your hand up and write back down and let me pray with you wow 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 father God it's a privilege for me to be here with my friend Keith at Christ Community Church and his incredible congregation who has the best days of their ministry still in front of them. And God, incredible congregations are made up not of extraordinary people, but of ordinary people who trust an extraordinary God. And standing all around this room this morning are dozens of folks who are just saying, this whole rejoicing thing, this whole lordship thing, it's just not been there for me lately because God there are sea billows there's a tough economy there are layoffs and foreclosures and this fills into families and then there are family struggles and stress and tension and sometimes that gets brought into the church and there are church struggles and I don't know these folks standing in front of me what it is they're dealing with God I respect their courage and their honesty this morning so, Father, as I'm talking out loud to you, I imagine that in the privacy of their mind, they're just whispering, God, help. The life's difficulties are overwhelming them. And they're trying to trust you in fresh ways. They're trying to get a fresh glimpse of what the Lordship of Jesus Christ looks like so that even in the midst of trials and tribulations and frustrations and bad hair days and, and construction on the freeway, they can rejoice because this life's not their own and the life to come is their hope but that's there and then and in the here and now they have to find new ways to persevere God give them courage give them grace give them mercy give them favor that they can rejoice and God even if you don't change their circumstances I trust that by their inviting you in fresh ways into their lives into these situations that you can change them in the midst of their circumstances and then, God, there were probably six or eight hands that went up that said, hey, never quite understood it like this before. And Jesus is becoming real to me, and I'm accepting him into my life this morning. For those of you who raised your hands, in the privacy of your mind, just kind of repeat after me, dear God.
Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he gave his life for me, but he didn't stop there. That he's in heaven with you. And I give my life to him right now. Jesus, because of what you did on a cross, forgive me of my sins. Become my forgiver, my very best friend. And so God, we love you. God, I thank you for the privilege of being here. I thank you, God, that these folks have been so gracious and generous to me. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are forever faithful, that you have shared this moment and given us this experience. And I pray, God, that it's been life-changing in many ways. We honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You folks can be seated.
It's been good to be with David this morning. The Lord did a work in your heart, didn't he? And you know, Horatio penned those words out of a very difficult, tough place. He had the comfort of Christ, and that's what I pray you walk out of here today with, was the comfort of Jesus. I'm studying 2 Corinthians for next weekend as we continue our series, the first chapter. He talks all about comfort. I don't know about you, but in recent days, you know, I have a real heart for Troy. And uh, you saw Hannah just babysat for one of the relatives of the one that, you know, did you see where the lady and her daughter and her son were killed and then the other educator, three of them killed? I've just been praying for the ministry of the Holy Spirit for comfort. And just like you on Friday morning, we awoke to find out the catastrophic defeat and discouragement and death all through Japan. Could we just pray for them right now, just just for comfort, for those long ways from here, uh, just that God would be present. That's all, what I always pray for in times of difficulty. I, I pray for the Holy Spirit to comfort. And right now, can we just join hands with people all across the aisles and, and just talk to our mighty God that he would draw near and he would give wisdom and strength and his comfort. Father, as we come to the close of a Sunday morning, our hearts have been moved by your spirit through your messenger, David. Thank you, Father. Thank you for ones that received Jesus Christ. We celebrate that their name is written in the Lamb's book. Hallelujah. God, we rejoice in the ones today that have found that difficult place and they held it before you. And God, you've met them there. Give them spiritual boldness, as David talked about. Encourage to face that giant. But not just to face it, to overcome in Jesus Christ and to rejoice. And God, we pray. We want to pray for those across the sea. Maybe there are brothers and sisters, and many are not of the faith of Jesus. But we pray, God, that the gospel, that uh, efforts and relief would go forward, God, from this nation and other nations of the world, that they would see the strong arm of the Lord. God, I'm not wise enough to understand why things like that happen, but God, I know you're the God of heaven, and you're the God of all comfort. And if you don't comfort, they will be comfortless. So come, God, when we turn on the news, when we see the acts and we hear the things, God, we, I pray that we would just pray. And we'd go, God, meet them. Meet a need. Show them that the arm of the Lord is not too short to save any that will call upon the name of Jesus Christ. As we go from this place to eat a meal, to go to our homes, to fellowship, God, we thank you for the fellowship of your son. God, thank you your presence. In the name of Jesus Christ, go forth. Amen.